0: Well, if you've been blessed already this morning, why don't you give a shout or an amen? What a, whoo, man, love it. AIM, welcome. Thank you guys so much for your voices. It rained a little bit ago. Come on. (laughs) Wow. Um, Kenzie got up during communion and told me, uh, and I didn't, I I'd forgotten what the date was. But another thing, it was five years ago today that the fire, five years ago today was the fire. And so, woo, we're getting rain. <laughs> so chokes me up a little bit to think about that. And we're thankful for that. It'd been a long time since I heard thunder. I heard a lot of clamoring in the audience. <laughs> it gets you going, right? Gets you going. Uh, we are so blessed. And uh, what a cool deal. Parents, thanks for sending your kids down. Um, and, and just seeing them give and offer. And thank you guys for what you just did. We, we can't wait to reveal this number to you um, and be a part of it. We're going to finish out, though, what we've been talking about, about stepping into the mission of God, not only as we give global, globally and to AIM and to all our five other mission points, but as we step into our mission here in Canadian and in Wheeler and in Periton and in Miami and the surrounding area. I gotta tell you, without fail on every road trip as a kid, I was that kid. I missed every moment. Every, hey, there's a herd of antelopes, or check out that buffalo in Oklahoma, or man, look at that cool sports car that we just passed on the interstate. Were you that kid with me? I was that kid. Totally unobservant, totally the person that missed every cool sight on every road trip. I don't know if you were that kid. Anybody with me, show of hands? maybe you're that adult any adults out there (laughs) totally missed it i still remember going west out of denver as a kid i don't remember probably was when i was in high school i say i was a kid uh, but i was a high schooler i think and i wanted to see mountain goats i'd always thought mountain goats were really cool i mean look at these guys they're pretty cool and i remember whatever was going on all of a sudden in unison My mom, dad, maybe even my brother shouted out and they go, Look, herd of mountain goats. Of course, I responded, Where? My dad said, Right there. In which I said, Where? And my mom said, Right there on the right side of the road and pointed. To which I said, I don't see them. I don't know what was wrong with my eyesight as a kid. I frantically started looking around. I wanted to see these cool goateed little things. You know, they're awesome. I wanted to see them. Looked all over the car, 360 degrees. I'm sure they were right there. I was probably looking in another direction. I wasn't that bright as a kid. Not much has changed, right? And then my brother said, oh, too late. They've already passed. I don't know if you can relate. But if you can relate today, in any way to being unobserved, we're going to talk about a guy who missed... Not just a scene, not just a vista, not just a canyon, or a beautiful mountain, or the, or the largest herd of elk. We're talking about a guy today who missed the greatest thing human beings have ever seen. He missed seeing the resurrected Jesus. The young women and the older women had gone to the tomb, and they had seen Jesus on Sunday morning. They had seen the resurrected Christ. Then by Sunday night, even in doubt, as the disciples heard the story from the women and they were bewildered by it, he showed up again. And most of the disciples had seen the resurrected Lord. A vision beyond all compare. A sight that none of us would want to miss. But yet, by the next day, Thomas, Yeah, doubting Thomas, he wasn't there. He was the one out of the many that missed the greatest scene in history. We pick it up in John chapter 20, verse 24. We're going to talk about Thomas this morning stepping in to embrace Jesus for who he is. Thomas misses it, but here's how the story goes. Verse 24 of John 20. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, more on that word here in a minute. One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. There is a load of information in that sentence. So, after, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And I can't even give that phrase any justice. We have seen the Lord. And Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas, the disciple. Thomas, the didymus. And as he's become to known, he's Thomas the Doubter. A word on Didymus. Didymus is a twin. He's Thomas the twin. Thomas has another one of him that we don't know about running around somewhere in the first century. That's pretty cool. It's always shocking when you meet a twin, like you know somebody, they've been a friend for a while and they go, oh, I have a twin. And you're like, what? That's Thomas, right? So Thomas, there's another Tess to Thomas's Kylie here, right? Running around. There's another twin out there. There's another Harley to a Cheyenne Blair out there. There is a twin. We've got twins here with AIM. It's Haley and, right? Nope. Hannah and Caitlin, right? Did I get that right? Right. The Arbaca twins, right? There we go. Right. I won't make you stand, right? So Thomas has that going on. But we don't know anything about this twin. We don't know anything about this twin. We don't know who he was or what he, or what he did for life, if he followed Jesus or not. But I got to thinking, we are all Thomas's Didymus. We're all his twin. Because if we're honest with ourselves, although we're hard on Thomas the doubter, we are his twin because we all doubt. We all. evidence, right? We all want that proof of the nail scars and the spear-riven side. We all desire that empirical evidence that leads to a solid verdict. But we, like Thomas, don't get it. And the bad news is, that's not the point, you're not going to get it. We all want the answers that don't arrive. We want resolutions that don't show up on our own timeline. So welcome to church. We're all doubters. We all limp. We all wrestle. We all struggle. And I want you to know that that's nothing new. That's not scary because all people of faith have done that. Abraham doubted because he didn't know in his old age he could have a child, so he came up with his own plan with Sarah. Moses doubts his ability as he is talking to God in a burning tree and bush. Aaron doubts God's promise and doubts his brother's leadership. Zachariah in the New Testament with his wife Elizabeth says, surely there's no way this can happen. He doubts as well, and on and on it goes. Everyone wrestles with doubt. I would probably assume today that many who came in here this morning have it. Maybe they've been on display. Maybe you've been sharing your doubt. For most of us, not trying to be pessimistic, but for most of us our doubts are hidden away. They are behind a veil of security and certainty. But I want to share with you today from Thomas's story in John chapter 20. Now, while we are all didymus, while we are all doubters, doubt does not have to be a disaster. It's unfortunate that we've given this title to Thomas, this negative stereotype, that when anybody thinks, if you've been around the Bible at all or church at all, when anybody thinks of the disciple Thomas, we automatically call him Doubting Thomas. And we live in this enlightened world where we scoff at doubt. We have lived in a church culture and I hope we're coming out of it in a place where we have treated doubters as if they ha- we have no room for them. It's unfortunate that church history and in my lifetime, recent church history is littered with doubters who have been tossed aside and run over by the church's quest for certainty. And too often that has been our young people in the face of consequences of older generations unwilling to answer or to walk with their challenging inquiries and questions. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody and say that. I'm just trying to be honest. Because the truth is not that the church doesn't have room for doubt. The truth is the church is full of people who walk with doubt. And Thomas shows us that our doubts don't have to be a disaster. In fact, they can be a catalyst to a greater faith and a greater confession of who Jesus is. So let's pick the story back up, and I want to show you very quickly what this looks like. John 20, 26 through 29, he makes this statement, right? Verse 25 Unless I see this, unless I'm able to even not only see, but to put my hands in the holes. And in the scars, and then here's what happens. A week later, key point. This is not that moment. Jesus doesn't show up just to answer the prayer immediately. It is a week later. His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas here is with them. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) You know, I was out getting, I don't know what he was doing, out on an errand. He's not going anywhere. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, blessed. Uh, because, sorry, because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Doubting Thomas. He gets what he's asked for, but Thomas shows us how to doubt. He shows us what's to do with those doubts that you carry this morning, that I carry this morning And what he does with his doubts allows him to step into an even greater faith. So in three quick ways this morning, I want to show you, because your doubt, even if you're not in a season of doubt, that does not mean this morning that you won't be again. And I want to show you this morning what Thomas does so that each of us can learn that faith is a step. It's a dance. And as we dance, some of those steps of faith are going to be steps of doubt. But even with steps of doubt, we can step into greater faith. So here's what Thomas does first. He doesn't deny his doubt. You notice that? He didn't go, oh, well, I just, I missed the point. He doesn't deny it. He admits it. A whole lot of events take place in verse 25. They say, we've seen the Lord. The disciples exclaim this incredible thing. You can imagine their faces beaming. But Thomas is honest. He doesn't let somebody else's experience keep him from being honest about what he's going through. And he says, in essence, what what I need is that experience too. And unless I get it, I won't believe. I'm not falling for a stand-in Messiah, a look-alike. I've got to see the scars. I've got to touch the scars. I think it's... Important to note that he could have just taken the 21st century road of cynicism. Eh, I guess that's not for me. He could have thrown up his arms and said, whatever, but he doesn't. Thomas here shows us what we do with doubt is we speak our doubts. We share our doubts with loving friends. We don't deny them. Greater faith is on the other side of saying, here's what I'm wrestling with. Discipleship is not a road that is paved. Discipleship is a road that will trip you up. Amen? Because following Jesus can be difficult. And as we travel, we don't just sit behind Jesus and then stop in our doubt. What we do is we walk and we share and we wrestle and we struggle. I love this quote from Callistos, where says God is not so much the object of our knowledge, meaning my certainty, but as the cause of our wonder. Doubt can be dangerous when it is trying to look for knowledge, but doubt can be a blessing when you are in the road to awe and wonder. So don't deny what you wrestle with. But the second thing uh, Thomas does is he doesn't expand them either. He doesn't make his doubts bigger than they are. A word on that, it's probably appropriate at this moment, online, audience, if you hear this, if you download our podcast, in here, online, um, it's probably appropriate to apologize to people of faith who have felt pushed away because we wouldn't help them with their doubts. We need to say we're sorry. Or maybe somebody brought a question that was too difficult for us. And we said, oh, we don't ask that here. That's taboo. We need to apologize to those people. Because the disciples don't do that, right? They don't do that to Thomas but they also don't allow him to expand it. In verse 26, if you're looking at your Bible, look at where Thomas is, a week later, right? This is important. A week later, he's still with the disciples. What we do in 21st century empirical evidence world and post enlightenment is we think that doubts disqualify us. That is not true. They didn't disqualify Thomas. He's still walking the road with the disciples. He's there with them a week later. He is there being a part of the early disciples. I think that we've made doubt the enemy, and then what we do is create space where doubters are not welcome. Maybe unsaid, and maybe I'm picking on this too much this morning, but I think sometimes churches have gotten into the slogan of, if you doubt, you're out, right? Let's not adopt that slogan for 2022, church. What we need to do is have an appropriate size of our doubts. Thomas had an appropriate size. His doubt did not disqualify him from walking in community with the early church. He stayed in community with them. He's still there a week later. Here's what I'm learning. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith to me is apathy. Because apathy causes you to stop on the road. If I'm in doubt, I can keep following. Hashtag still following. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Right? That's what the opposite of faith is. It's going, I've seen the Lord and I don't care. Versus, I want to see the Lord and I'm going to keep seeking him. So there, I'm not expanding my doubts where they cut me off from faith They continue in my faith journey. So don't expand your doubts. If you're struggling this morning, your doubt is not the end of your faith. It might just be the brand new beginning of your faith that you never thought you could have. And then, lastly, I love this, and we've already hinted around it bring your doubt to church. Bring it to church. Doubt is not unwelcome here, doubt is not the one friend you can't bring to church. Thomas here is never alone. He had others with this to share with, others to be honest with. He brings his doubt to church. You guys remember, um, this toy has made its way around uh, many times through, uh, I guess, throughout history. But when I was a kid, they were called weebles. You guys remember weebles? You would knock a weeble over and they would come back, back up. They were like the punching bags that you'd punch and they'd come back up. They had this great slogan, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down right? That's what doubt should look like in a church. Doubt may knock you down, but weebles wobble, but they don't fall down because we have a community of people. You bring your doubts to church and the church picks you back up because when I am weak, you are strong. When you are weak, I can be strong. So the best place to bring your doubt is to do what Thomas did. He comes, he doesn't deny, he doesn't expand. What he does is bring his doubts to Christian community. And he says, and he shows us, we don't carry our burdens alone. We're not pushed around by the world alone. Our circumstances are not ours to carry alone. We have each other. So when you're wrestling, if you're wrestling this morning, if you're wrestling on a Sunday morning, you're like, I just don't know if I can go to church anymore. I'm wrestling. What you need to do is say, doubt, come with me. I got a place to go. Because it's a place that's safe, it's a place where we don't have to hide, and it's a place where we can share and we can grow. Thomas teaches us what to do with our doubt. We're honest, we're open, we share it, and then he has this amazing change in his life. He steps into an even greater faith. But before I get there, I want you to hear, well, actually, I'll go ahead and get there. I'll get to this goofy story here in a minute. But what Thomas does is Thomas moves from, by the end of it, and it's unfortunate we've given him the Doubting Thomas moniker because actually what Thomas is in the story is he's Thomas the confessor. Because if you read the whole thing of John, the whole purpose of John is to get us to believe, right? It's all about belief. It's all about faith-ing. It's all about this act of faith. And the disciples throughout this whole gospel skirt around the answer. They sometimes say it. They sometimes get close to who Jesus is. But the one guy who makes the ultimate statement of faith and proclaims who Jesus is, is Thomas. Because he proclaims, my Lord and my God. You are. Or this, he's Thomas, the Confessor. My Lord, and my God. A proclamation that changes everything about us. And it wasn't his certainty that brought him there. It was his doubt. It was walking in step in community with his doubt. So years ago, there was this preacher in rural Minnesota. Uh, I don't know if this could be a preacher story. <laughs> I don't, I, there's no way to confirm nor deny this. You know, preachers like to make up stories and act like they're real. So I don't know. I'm giving you that, that little aside here. But years ago, there was this preacher in Minnesota, and, and his job was to serve and, and, and shepherd a bunch of different churches around rural Minnesota. Um, but part of his job was he found himself often speaking at funerals for families in the area who didn't have a preacher. And so as he served four or five different churches, he was traveling a lot, doing a lot of funerals throughout his year. So he spent a lot of days with just him and the funeral director driving around in a hearse across the countryside. Well, the story goes that one day after a funeral, uh, he was very tired and the director was driving the hearse and the preacher told the driver, look, I am worn out, I just gotta take a nap. So he lays down in the back of the hearse to take a nap he climbs over the back seat and he lays down the back of this old hearse well as they were going along the road the, the funeral director was running out of gas so he pulled over at this little gas station it was old gas station that still had a gas station attendant at it y'all remember those they would come out and pump your gas for you right the funeral director he gets out and he goes in to use the restroom in the gas station and the attendant comes out and he starts to pump gas and on old hearses, there used to be side windows and back windows, and you could see into it. And he's pumping the gas, and this attendant looks over, and there's a body laid out in the back of the hearse, not in a coffin, just a guy taking a nap. But to him, he immediately thought, This is bizarre. There's a dead body laid out in this hearse. Well, the guy's still pumping gas, the, the tank was pretty big. At that point, the preacher wakes up, kind of wakes up, and he looks over. And he must have been quick-witted because he had this thought, I'm really going to get this guy. And so he sees the guy pumping the gas. He raises up and he taps on the glass. The guy turns and he waves at him. <laughs> they say up to this day, nobody has actually ran a faster 40-yard dash than the gas station attendant. Now, that will apply here. Give me just a sec. Some of us have been sold a bill of goods that faith is an unmovable brick wall. But for me, faith is like Thomas. I want a faith like Thomas. Give me a faith that falters, but yet strengthens as it trips. Give me a faith like Peter, who's willing to get out of the boat, walk on water, and also almost drown because at least he is making steps. Give me a faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who without knowing the outcome say to Nebuchadnezzar, even if he does not save us, we're not doing what you say. Give me a faith like that because what Thomas shows us when he proclaims my Lord and my God and even when he says, unless I do these things, he is saying, we don't wait on certainty to step out in faith. Our job is to simply remain faithful. Keep following. Now here's what happened to Thomas. Tradition as we know it says that Thomas around the year AD 50 made all uh, his way made his way all the way to India. There's still a church in India that proclaims that it was That it was built by, and the foundation of it was started by Thomas the disciple, AD 50. That's an incredible, incredible thing if that's true. I don't know if it's true. There's a group of people that worship there that say that they can still trace back their lineage of faith to doubting Thomas. How did he do that? He was honest. He took his faith along with him to his friends. He took his doubt to church. So church family, we want to finish with this challenge today. And for AIM kids too, this is for all of us. When you wrestle, when you struggle, know that you're not walking away from Jesus. What you're doing is actually starting to discover more of Jesus. Because just like that guy who was the gas station attendant that day, had a startled heart. (laughs) We too. Jesus says, blessed are those who have never seen me, but still believe. And I'm not one to argue with Jesus, but I am one to look for hints and visions of the resurrected Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I see hints of the resurrected Jesus all over this room. Amen? I see it because what else would compel young people to say, I'm giving up two years of my life? Three years of my life, however long. What else would compel us today to dig deep and give? What else would compel us to say our mission is in Canadian? What else would compel us to be people who surround each other in our doubts and pray for each other? What else would compel us at life groups this afternoon to speak honestly about our walk, even if it is something that you hold in shame? What else would compel us to be a people who say it's enough of people dying in their sin, let's get out and share Jesus with the world if it's not the resurrected Christ, amen? Amen. So let us be people who, yes, we have not seen Jesus. I have not touched the sides, but I have seen Jesus. And so today, wherever you need to step into, step into him, step into Jesus, step into his life and see what he does in you. Who knows? What I love about AIM is what Corey said this morning. It's the 10 years, 15 years stories, right, Corey? What you see later, and I cannot wait. I don't know when it'll happen, but I think most of heaven, guys, will be us sitting around going, Jesus is awesome. And let me tell you how he used me. And we're gonna spend millions of years sharing little connections about that dollar that a child put in that allowed somehow for one other person to be uh, reached in Mexico City or for that $10 that some kid in Canadian Texas put in that allowed for a new ministry to get started in Tacoma or, or La Serena, Chile, right? That's only done by the power of the resurrection. So whatever you need today, we're here for you. We're gonna sing a few more songs for our... For our invitation. Pat's going to lead us in a couple new ones. We're going out on the limb because we got AIM kids here today and we can sing. We are confident today, right? And so Pat's going to lead us. And then if you need anything, come up front. We'll take care of that. But also some of our AIM kids are going to be coming up and revealing our number uh, as we sing. But let's stand together and praise God.